Well, good morning, everybody. Again, it's great to see your shiny eyes this morning. And like Paul said, it's just nice to see the smile in the eyes. And uh, really appreciate all of you coming this morning to worship with us, whether it's here in person or whether it's at uh, Greenbelt Online as well. Um, as Paul just shared, um, we as a church are incredibly passionate about the mission of Jesus. You see, Jesus' mission was not to come into the world and entertain religious people. The mission of Jesus was not to come into the world and give religious people everything that they desired and everything that they wanted. In fact, as we study the, Old, uh, the New Testament, as we study the Gospels, as we continue to study through the book of Acts, what we see again and again and again is the people who are the most upset with Jesus are the people who should know God the best. The people who are the most angry at him, the people who sent him to the cross, are the people who should know better. But there's something about the human condition. There's something about human nature. There's something about sin that makes us think that the world revolves around me. (laughs) And everything should be about me. And none of us, myself included, are immune from that little voice that tries to just fulfill our desires, fulfill our wants. So that's why as a church, we work so hard on putting the mission first, where the mission must trump the method. And you'll hear me say that all the time. We need to be so in love with the mission of seeking and saving the lost, of building up disciples, fully vibrant, alive disciples in Jesus for the sake of reaching the lost. And sometimes we have to change the methods. As culture changes, as the world around us changes, we never change this. We never take the word of God and make the word of God change to what culture would say. This is unchanging. But how you and I do this church thing, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's online, that's always in motion. And so one of the things I love so much about our church is the changes that we've gone through this past year. Like we're looking at what God has been doing over the last 19 months, and it will actually blow, it blows my mind when I look at it, where we've seen nearly 125 people accept Christ during a worldwide pandemic. Okay, see, now that's a good thing. Okay, that's something to praise God about, because I've been a pastor for 15 years, and I've not seen 125 people in the 13 and a half years before that come to Jesus. Okay, and that's why I went to seminary. (laughs) I didn't go to seminary to entertain people. I went to seminary so that God could use the church to change people's lives. And we're seeing that happening. We have an Arabic service that meets. And we're seeing more and more and more people connect with us through our Arabic speaking ministry. We see more and more people coming to church online. We see more and more people. I'm looking around here and there's like half the room here. I don't know you. We've not met. And that's amazing that God somehow just brings you here. It's just amazing what God does. So we have to just be that church 
that loves the mission. And that's why we're going through this sermon series called Church on the Go. We're studying the book of Acts together to help us see how the mission of God, how it worked 2,000 years ago, and how it's still relevant for our lives in this world that we live today, whether we're here in Ottawa, whether we're in other parts of Canada through church online, or whether we're around the world. Because God's mission has not changed. So today we're going to go through a very familiar passage in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible with you, you can open that up to Acts chapter 9. If you use a, a mobile device and you use the Version Bible app, there's a little feature in there called Events, and you can get the whole sermon outline there as well, and you can take notes through that. If you need a Bible, there are actually Bibles in the back over there. We normally used to keep them in the chair, but we've got to keep everyone's hands off of everything nowadays. So grab a Bible, and that, if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Please keep that Bible. I believe every family should own one. And if you are joining us at Church Online and you do not own a physical Bible, email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and I will send you a physical Bible. And so as we're kind of getting ready to go through this text here in Acts chapter 9, I just want to ask a, a question to those of you who are here today, or those of you who are joining online, who would say, I am a follower of Jesus? I put my faith in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So for you people, this is who I got this question for you. And I don't want you to shout this one out loud. I know Paul said that I might get you to answer out loud. This one's not an out loud question. But what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to think of the person in your life. Could be a family member, could be someone at work, it could be a friend, could be someone on your hockey team, your soccer team, wherever you go and play and do hobby stuff. I want you to think of the person in your life who you just know is never, ever going to become a Christian. There is no way that woman or that man is ever, ever going to become a Christian. Do you have someone like that in your life? Maybe just show a hand. If you've got someone like that in your, in your life, I've got, honestly, lots of people like that in my life. Family members, friends. When I used to work in the computer industry before becoming a pastor, there are so many people that God has brought into my life. And honestly, I go, no way, no how will this person ever ever put their faith in Jesus. And what is it about that person that makes us feel that way about them? Is it because they're hostile to the Christian faith? They're hostile to the message of Jesus? You know, are they just too set in their ways? Maybe they're committed to another religion, another faith, another religious or spiritual practice. Maybe it's because they're just very prideful they don't want to talk about this. They don't even, you know, they, they've, they don't even want to address the big questions of life, like what happens after you die and all of this stuff, because like, it's just too big. And they don't even want to worry about that stuff because it just causes too much stress. They just want to ignore all of these things. What is it about that person that makes you think they'll never become a Christian? And maybe for those of you who are here today, again, whether in person or joining us online, and you would say, I'm actually not a Christian. <laughs> I love it when non-Christians come, because I actually believe the church should be the safest place on the planet for non-Christians to attend. I actually believe that to the core of my being. 
that if church is actually set up that non-Christians never, ever, ever want to come to it, um, we're probably not doing ministry the way Jesus did ministry. <laughs> because non-religious people were flocking to Jesus by the thousands. <laughs> right? And so if you're here today and you would say, I'm not a Christian, what is it about you? That why you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet? Is it your doubts? Your insecurities? Maybe your past experiences? With Christians, with the church, what is it in your heart? So what I hope to do today, as we look at Acts chapter 9, is to encourage you as a follower of Jesus, that that person that you have in your mind that you think is unreachable, that person that you think is unreachable with the good news of Jesus, the big idea that we're going to unpack together is this, is the reason we go as the church, is so that God will reach the unreachable. That is the purpose of the existence of the church, that we would go and reach the unreachable. And if you're here today and you would say, I'm not a Christian, I hope today we'll just kind of answer some of your questions, answer some of your doubts, help you to break down some of those traditional viewpoints that you might have about the Christian faith. So let's look here, Acts chapter 9, and again, just to set this up a little bit, what we've been seeing happening in the first eight chapters, is Jesus gives a mandate. Jesus gives marching orders to the church. Jesus gives a mission to the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying, this mission here of the church is starting in this city where Jesus was crucified, where he rose from the dead, and where he ascended, where he returned to heaven. It's the city where the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church and gave them power and words and, and all the abilities that they needed to accomplish the mission. And then it's going to start to spread. It's going to move out into the province, out into the country, out into the whole world. And we see in the first seven chapters of Acts that there's, that's what's happening is hundreds and hundreds and then thousands and thousands of people are coming to put their faith in Jesus because of this good news, this good news message that God loves you so much that you don't have to keep 613 rules and commandments. I was actually just studying, I was reading through the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus this week. And don't even ask me why, because it wasn't related to this message at all. I was just in there. And I'm reading all these Old Testament commandments, all these Old Testament limitations, and all of these regulations. And it actually brought me to a place of worship, where I go, thank you, Lord, that I can be close to you, not because I've got to keep Leviticus <laughs> and live out every verse in Leviticus. But thank you, God, that I can be close to you because Jesus loved me and died for me. <laughs> right? That's the good news of Jesus. And so we see this message spreading. But then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we see something change. Persecution starts coming into the church. And we read about this in Acts chapter 1 verse uh, sorry 8 uh, chapter 8 verse 1 to 3. It says on the day a great persecution broke out against the church in, in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So what's happening here is this mission of Jesus is being accomplished through difficulty, through trial. 
And so this is what's happening and going on here. And then it continues in chapter 8. It says in verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen. So Stephen is the guy who was murdered for his faith. And they mourned deeply for him. And then it talks, it introduces us this man named Saul. So it talks about Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So we're introduced to a man named Saul. Later on, we learn that Saul has two names. Saul has his Hebrew name, which is Saul. So whenever Saul is talked about in the context of the Jewish people, his name is Saul. But we also learn that Saul is also a Roman citizen. And being a Roman citizen, he also has a Greek name. His Greek name is Paul. And Paul is very famous in the church because he wrote most of the New Testament. He's an amazing apostle. He's an amazing leader who did all of these incredible things for God. I actually, I mean, I I could say this with complete certainty, that you and I are here today in this building in the city of Ottawa because of the work of Paul. How Paul went out into the known world, bringing the message of Jesus in such a way that it impacted Gentile kings, that it completely changed nations, and it changed Western culture, Eastern culture. Every culture is changed because of the work of Paul. So, But Paul started off as a man determined to destroy the church. That's his origin story. Determined to destroy the church. How do you go from being a man who wants to destroy the church to becoming a man used by God to bless the entire world? Well, that's what Acts chapter 9 is. And so let's read this here together. I'm going to read Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read this whole story all the way down to verse 19. So it says, meanwhile, so while all this persecution was going on, while Philip was going off and doing his things that we looked at last week, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, he could see nothing. So they led him out by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, 
I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I think so often as followers of Jesus, as church leaders, as pastors, as elders, as deacons, as life group leaders, uh, kids own leaders, fusion leaders, whatever position, whatever role, whatever volunteer position we play in the church, we, we so easily remember Paul, right, as a pastor, as a leader, as an apostle, as the author of the New Testament, as this missionary who does all this amazing stuff, but in order to live out the call of the church to go and to reach the unreachable, I think it's important to remember and reflect on Paul, the enemy of God. You see, when you think of that person that you consider to be unreachable, are they as bad as Paul? Like, look at Paul's words, how Paul describes himself. This is, these are Paul's words describing himself before this encounter with Jesus. We can read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Paul says this. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, a blasphemer is a very fancy word that says he, he spoke the name of God in vain. <laughs> that he spoke untruth. He, used the, uh, he spoke untruth about who God was. And Paul was a religious leader. He was this Pharisee of Pharisees. He kept all the rules and all the commandments. He was so zealous for his relationship with God. But he was a blasphemer. His words he was a persecutor, and he was a violent man. And he goes, even though that's who I was, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And Paul continues in verse 15. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Of whom I'm the worst. We go so that God can reach the unreachable. You and I go. We sacrifice. We suffer. We learn. 
We pray. We fast. We seek the Lord. We listen to his voice. We grow and become more like Jesus. So that we, that God through us, can reach the unreachable. Because Jesus came to save sinners. Of whom I'm the worst. You see, before I became a Christian, I had everyone in my life fooled. Everybody. Everyone fooled. Because everybody thought I was a nice guy. You see, I came to Jesus in my mid-20s. I grew up in a religious environment, you know, went to church. It was part of our school. I had my school building was attached to the church building. And, you know, so we had kind of all those traditions and all those things we had to go through, communion, confession, confirmation, all of those kind of things. And I grew up in it, not believing in any of it at all. It was tradition. In fact, the way I kind of grew up in that school was we we were taught to see the Bible and prayer as punishment. Whenever we were bad as children, the nuns would make us take our Bible. We had these big, huge, ginormous French-Canadian Bibles. They were really thick and heavy. And they would make us open that Bible up and say, you need to go sit in the corner and write out 1 Timothy chapter 1 as punishment. And then what we did as children... (laughs) is we would take our Bibles out of our desk and we would rip out 1 Timothy chapter 1 and hide the page going, oh, madame, I don't have that page in my Bible. Someone ripped it out. And then she would go, okay, then write 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we would just open up our Bibles and we would rip that page out and throw it away. Oh, madame, I don't have that page in my Bible. We were horrible little monsters. Horrible monsters as children, okay? But I had everybody fooled that I was a nice guy, But I knew what my heart was really like. I knew the sin that was there. I knew the anger that was there. I knew the judgment that was there. I knew all the secret stuff that I was doing on the internet that was degrading and belittling women. I was not a nice guy. But I had everybody fooled. And guess what? That's you too. All of us work so hard to fool everybody, to put on masks, not the ones that we're wearing for COVID, but to put on fake expressions, to live out fake lives, to try to convince everyone that we're perfect, to convince everyone that we're these great Christians. But we all have sin. We all fall short. We've all got junk to deal with. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When I read Paul's verse, where I read, of whom I am the worst, I resonate with that. I hope you resonate with that. Because I don't know your sin. Probably even the person closest to you, your spouse, your children, they may not even know your sin. But you do. You know where your heart is really at. You know where your mind really goes. You know where your behavior and your emotions take you. But Jesus came to save us from that. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Because Jesus is on a rescue mission. Right? People dying in their sins need the good news of Jesus. The Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right? Jesus came to save us from this death, the death that our sin says that we deserve because of our sin, because of our thoughts, because of our emotions, because of all these behaviors that we have. We deserve before a holy God. We deserve death, but we don't receive it. Paul talks about this, this conversion that he went through in Acts chapter 9. He explains what happened spiritually to him in Colossians chapter 2. He says these, he says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having, for, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. You see, in our sin, there's nothing we can do. To please God. In our sin, there's nothing we can do to save us from our sin. There's no religion that will save you from sin. There's no tradition that will save you from sin. There's no rules. There's no guidelines because there's always going to be something you do to mess up. I messed up yesterday. How many of you messed up in some kind of way yesterday? It's not just me, I hope. Okay, good. We're all among human beings here. It's great. (laughs) We all mess up. We all fall short, but that's what drives us to praising God. That's why we gather together in such a way as this to worship our savior that we don't get what we deserve. It's our faith that saved us. And it's been like that since the beginning, right? When uh, Romans chapter four, Paul, again, this guy who went through this conversion talks about faith In Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, it says this, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. It's not because Abraham kept all the laws of Moses that God blessed him, but through righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there's no transgression. You see what the law does is it reminds me of where I fall short. What the law does is it shows me why I need Jesus. That's why I study the old Testament from time to time. Cause Oh boy, there were a lot of laws, a whole bunch of them. Not just 10, 613. And some of them don't make any any sense to us in our culture today. (laughs) Don't cook a goat in its mother's milk. All the temple worship laws, all the commandments, circumcision laws. I always love that one because that just makes men squirm. That's just a fun one to talk about. You know, making circumcision a part of Greenbelt Church's membership class. Let's talk about that. Like there's so many things in there. Praise be to God (laughs) that God has a new covenant for his people, (laughs) that God launched a message all over the world (laughs) that even the unreachable can come to know Jesus. (laughs) Even the unreachable can know who God is. Even enemies of the church. (laughs) This is why I say so often as a pastor, And as a leader in our city, I get it. There is so much tension in our culture today. And we feel like as the church, we're in a culture war. 
you know, between decisions that politicians make and other community leaders make and other activist groups make. And we feel like there's this war at play and we feel like we need to be on the attack as followers of Jesus. And we begin to attack people who we consider to be enemies of the church. And this is why I say this all the time. I'm all for standing up for rights and freedoms. I'm all for standing up for religious liberties and all of those things. But if you're doing it in such a way where you are treating people as an enemy, you're wrong. Because they're not the enemy. They're the prize. (laughs) They're the person Jesus died for. They're the person that you may have been called to reach with the good news of Jesus. Maybe the reason why you're in these meetings with these activist groups is not to beat them down with your Bible, but it's to love on them and show them Jesus. (laughs) Because we're called to reach the unreachable. So how do we do that? Just a couple of things that we can take from this text here in Acts chapter 9 to help us see our call in reaching the unreachable. The first thing that you can do, and I think this is a great thing to do, no matter when you did this in your life, is I want you to reflect on your personal encounter with Jesus. When did you come to faith in Jesus? See, everyone that I talk to from here at Greenbelt Church, from other churches, from other parts around the world, I love hearing people's stories about how they came to Jesus. And one of the things that I find is so often, especially here in Canada, we're we're kind of overly humble in a way that I think we need to break out of a little bit because we need to give credit where credit is due. Um, We kind of feel like our coming to Jesus isn't a big deal. (laughs) Well, I was raised in a Christian home. I've always gone to church. I accepted Jesus in kids ministry. I got baptized at youth camp, and I've just always done this church thing. And we belittle it. We say that's, eh, it's just not a big deal. Do you realize how much of a miracle that is? (laughs) That's an incredible miracle that you grew up in the church that you had parents who brought you to church in a season. Like if I look at my life, like I'm 50 years old. So I was a kid in the seventies. That's when we had the massive exodus out of the church here in Canada. And the fact that I still had some religious education happening in my life at that time, even though I didn't believe in it, that's a miracle. It's a miracle that you stuck it out this long Because there's a whole lot of things in culture telling you to go do something else on a Sunday morning. (laughs) There's a whole lot of things in culture telling you to. there's better ways to use your time and better ways to use your money. There are better things on the Internet that you can go do than do Bible studies. It's a miracle if you have that story that you grew up in the church, accepted Jesus as a little kid, got baptized in youth ministry, and you've just always done this church thing. Don't belittle your story. It's a miracle. Maybe those of you who put your faith in Jesus later on in life, that's a miracle. Those of you who put your faith in Jesus as an adult, it's a miracle. I went to a baptism service a couple of years ago in our Arabic ministry. There was an older gentleman in his 80s, grew up as a Muslim, and he put his faith in Jesus. Jesus came to him in a dream in his 70s. 
and then got baptized. And they're trying to get this guy in his 80s into our baptism tank. And it was just such an incredible thing to see. That's a miracle. See, every single person's story of coming to Jesus is a miracle. Don't belittle your story. Reflect on what Jesus has done. You may not have heard a voice. There may not have been a big blinding light. You may not have been blind for three days and have someone come and heal you afterwards. But you coming to Jesus is a miracle. Remember that. You, me, we were unreachable. And Jesus reached us. See, sometimes I think what happens is when we compare our stories, that's when we sin. Paul talks about comparison in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We don't need to compare our stories with one another. They're all Jesus stories. They're all miracles. God reached you, the unreachable. Second thing that this text in Acts chapter 9 reminds me of is that it really highlights the importance of surrender. It highlights the importance of surrender. Like here we read in verse 10, we're introduced to this man named Ananias. Now, in this series, we've learned of another man named Ananias. That's earlier on in the book of Acts. That's a different Ananias because that one's dead. (laughs) That guy died for lying to God. This is a different one, and God tells him to go to an enemy of God. And what is the response when God tells us to go to an enemy? No, thank you. I'll pass. No, thanks. When God calls you to reach out to an enemy of the church, when God calls you to love on someone who hates the church, I'll pass. No, thanks. And that's not a new thing. We've seen that right from the very beginning of the Old Testament. We see the prophet Jonah do the exact same thing. Jonah, God comes to Jonah wanting to bring a message of reconciliation, a message of hope to enemies of God. And Jonah says, nope, and runs the other way. See, you and I need to practice the importance of surrender. Look, again, we live in a very messy culture and it's challenging and we could become so religious and just put our feet in the ground and lock our knees and saying i am not going to budge on this theological position but what if god is actually calling you to reach people that we consider to be enemies because they're not enemies they're the prize they're not unreachable they're completely reachable it actually takes a level of surrender. Remember when I was uh, taking a course in seminary, I got in a lot of trouble on this one. And I'm just going to bring this one up as an example, not as the shining light and look how amazing I am. It's not it at all. We had a paper we had to write in our theology class, and it asked the question, very simple question, in five to ten pages, explain whether or not you would go to a same-sex marriage. I just made everybody's shoulders go up. And I, in two sentences, said I would. I wouldn't wouldn't perform the ceremony, but I'd attend. Why? Because Jesus ate with sinners. 
And I had nothing else. I couldn't do five to ten pages here. Because all I had was one verse. So how do I unpack one verse into five to ten pages? So I went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. People who hate the message of Jesus, people who hate the message of the church, people who hate our idea of sexual identity and all of these things are not my enemy. I can actually still hold my convictions and my te- my, what I believe the Bible to teach in a way that loves. Is it harder? Yes. Is it messier? You bet. Does it take a level of surrender and trust in the Lord that I've never experienced before? You betcha. So we need to understand the importance of surrender. It's not about my rights. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my desires. It's about reaching the unreachable. And then finally, quickly with this one last point, I believe the God through this text reminds disciples of Jesus to be an encourager, to be an encourager. So we see Ananias showing up to an enemy of the church, an enemy, someone who Ananias knows. He knows who Saul is. He knows Saul is there to arrest him. He knows Saul has come to put him in jail personally. This could be a death sentence for Ananias. And the first words out of his mouth to Paul is, brother, your family. God has spoken to you. God has spoken to me. We're family. And he brings not, well, you know, the Lord told me that I should do this, but I'd really like you to change your ways first. I really need an affirmation. You're not going to throw my wife and kids and myself in jail before I lay my hands on you. No, he brings encouragement regardless of the consequences. He doesn't know if Saul is faking it. God could have told him to go and do this thing and, he, and, and pray for this man and get himself arrested. And maybe the mission is to deal with something in jail. Saul, uh, Ananias does not know what the outcome is supposed to be. But he chooses to be an encourager. So all of us as followers of Jesus reflect this week on our personal encounter with Jesus. Because your story is a miracle. Never forget that. Your story is a miracle. It should never have happened. But God did it. And the person in your life that you're thinking of, who is unreachable, they're reachable. Not by your strength, but by God's power. If you and I would just choose to surrender. If you and I would take a posture of encourager. And we would see more and more people reached as we trust God that way. Because we go because God wants to reach the unreachable. And maybe for those that are here today or those that are joining us at church online, this message, this good news of Jesus is new. It was new for me when I heard it in my mid-20s. I always heard God hated me. That's what I heard. I was a kid. We didn't get diagnosed with this stuff in the 70s, but I guarantee I had ADHD and every other attention deficit thing that you can have as a child sitting down for six hours a day in a classroom. It's like, 
Couldn't do it. I'd be on every single drug the school nurse would hand out if they would have done that in the 70s. I would have been comatose on drugs as a kid. But because I was so fidgety, I learned God hated me because I couldn't keep the rules. I couldn't keep the commandments. I couldn't keep the tradition. I couldn't listen. I couldn't do what the teacher told me to do. I couldn't do my homework. I couldn't focus. God hates you. But God didn't hate me. God loved me so much that Jesus died for me. And it took to getting into my 20s before I heard that. And I was a man with a lot of tradition, with a lot of anger, and a lot of pride. But then God touches my heart. And he changes me from the inside out. See, that's the message of the good news of Jesus. That no matter where you've been in life, Jesus loves you. And Jesus died for you. And you can welcome him into your life just by simply praying, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that prayer today, whether in person or at church online, I would love to know that. Church online, click the pop-up that shows up. People in the room, if you pray that today, come and tell me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you today. Because God's mission for the church has not changed. It's to go to reach the unreachable. So as followers of Jesus, that person that you were thinking of at the beginning of the service, that person who you consider to be unreachable, just do a little mind shift this week. (laughs) They're not unreachable. If you were reachable, if I was reachable, if anyone who responded to Jesus today was reachable, so is that person. (laughs) It might take a little bit more reflection You might have to surrender a little bit more. You might have to be a little bit more of an encourager to draw them closer to Jesus instead of pushing them away from Jesus. But let's trust in the power of God working in us and through us that God wants you to reach the unreachable. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for the powerful reminder of Paul's testimony that every single one of our stories is a miracle. Coming to Jesus in this day and age is a miracle. Coming to Jesus in any day and age is a miracle. And so, God, we thank you how you've come into our lives to make us new. And so, Father, I pray as we, as the church, reflect on the work that you've done in our lives, that we would see your miracle at work, that we would see your miracle of saving us from our sin, that we would see the miracle of you transforming us, that we would see the miracle of you helping us get victory over sin in our lives, healing, spiritual, emotional, physical healing in our lives. God, help us to see those miracles that you do each and every day. And God, help us to surrender to your will. God, I know there's lots of people out there in culture, probably even people out in our own families, that we would consider to be an enemy of the church. But God, help us to see them not as an enemy, but as the prize. See them as a man, woman, boy, and girl that you love, that Jesus died for. So God, we surrender our lives for their sake, so that they would know you, and that they would know of your incredible love. Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, touch our hearts, make us new. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.